Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. As we are kind of working through um, a year-long study with the help of, of Mark Moore and his, his book, Core 52, getting to know our Bibles a little bit better, getting to know our faith in Jesus a little bit stronger, may, not just maintaining, but strengthening the foundation on which we stand, the foundation that is Christ and his work in our lives. Um, as we've worked through this, as you've kind of come, become aware of now, we're working our way through this in, such, in this way, through kind of many sermon series. And, and what we jumped into last week is, is the church. And I hope from that video that you saw and understand that the church is not a dot on a map. It is not a building with a steeple or a cross on top of it. The church is a collection of people. It's people. The body of Christ is made up of people, all right? And it will be that way forever, even in heaven. So when we are are talking about the church, keep in mind we're not talking about a building. We are talking about us. And us meeting today are a part of the much larger, greater body of Jesus Christ. And today, as we dive into it, we're going to take a look at what binds us together within the church. What holds us together. The glue, if you will, that keeps us together. And that glue is Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Now, I'm going to give you a little heads up. As I read from God's word today, first of all, let's commit now that this this will be just one of the first times we open God's word. As an individual or as a family, however that looks for you, this is just one of the first. Let's dive into his word more this week, okay? So, as we look at it today, I'm going to be reading from what I hold in my hand is the New American Standard Version. That's also what will be on the screen behind me. If that doesn't match up right with what you have, that's okay. I just want to make sure that you are aware of that. And as we look, as we look to his word in Acts chapter 15 today, we're also going to be bouncing a little bit back and forth with the book of Galatians. So if you're somebody who likes to get there fast and you're not doing it electronically, which you can do really fast, um, you might put a bookmark in Galatians uh, chapter 2, chapter 4. We'll be kind of bouncing around there just a little bit. But we'll spend most of our time in Acts chapter 15. Acts is quite a a book of the Bible. Um, I'm meeting with a a small group of guys right now working our way through the book of Acts. So this is very, very close uh, to my heart. And and we spent spent a lot of weeks in Acts chapter 15. Uh, So this is one that is is very much close to my heart. But when we're talking about Acts 15, something about unity is found there. But at the same time, you get towards the end of the chapter... And there's something that happens that cannot be described in any other way but ironic. Ironic. I thought very seriously about coming today and, and singing um, Alanis Morissette as, as a way to start, start the message. And some of you are looking at me with blank looks. But some of you are my age and you know the song I'm talking about. Isn't it ironic? But I decided, no, I'm not going to put anybody through that. So to get us started, here's a little bit of irony from history. I didn't want to do political irony. I didn't want to do cultural irony because that can get a little depressing at times. So we're just going to do irony from very recent history. Follow along with me just for a second. A man once drowned in a pool party. Got that? Kind of tragic here. A man who drowned at a pool party was celebrating 
a year, that's what the party was about, celebrating a year with no drownings at a New Orleans pool. And it was attended by 100 lifeguards. A little bit of irony found there. Uh, Here's another one for you. The building holding the patent to the fire hydrant. You understand this? The building holding the patent to the fire hydrant burned down in 1836. Therefore, nobody knows who invented it. A little bit of irony. Uh, how about this one? John Morales, that, may, that name may not ring a bell to you, but he happened to be the actor who played McGruff the Crime Dog. You remember McGruff the Crime Dog? Well, John Morales was imprisoned for possessing 1,000 pot plants and a grenade launcher. A little bit of irony there. How about this one? Gary Creeman, you might not know who he is, but you know what he did. The founder of Match.com lost his longtime girlfriend to a man she met on Match.com. Yeah. Yeah. All right, how about this one? Gonna, gonna age you just a little bit. Some of you won't know what I'm talking about here. Some of you will. In 2014, a Los Angeles memorial tree dedicated to George Harrison was killed by an infestation of beetles. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. Some of you are laughing. Some of you are like, who's George Harrison? What is it? Did he play Indiana Jones or something? No. Okay. All right. And number six. Number six. Now, this one I had to bring to you. I read it this week, and it was quite humorous to me because I, you know, sometimes I mess up up here. Sometimes I kind of slip up occasionally. I'm human, and things come out not the way they're supposed to. I get a little mixed up. Who's who? And I was trying to very clearly help you see that I have to... The soothing baritoneness of my voice, the bassness of my voice, I know is so soothing that it'll put some of you to sleep. And I was talking about that that, that day. And, and I, I meant to say, I have the voice of Barry White. You remember that? And instead I said, I have the voice of Barry Manilow. <laughs> okay, all right. The final picture of irony, Barry Manilow's 1976 hit, I Write the Songs, was written by Bruce Johnson. (laughs) Oh, come on, that's funny. That is ironic. Mike's just shaking his head at me. He's going to give me a hard time about this one at lunch. I'm I'm quite sure. Okay, we're going to let that one go like David Letterman and never open it again. Irony, irony. You know, there's irony found in this. You realize that? There is irony found in Scripture. And it is not found within this because of error. In here, it is found in here because this Bible is full of the stories and the lives of people. People, as I told you, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 15 today. And this time period, I like the book of Acts for a number of reasons. For one thing, I like history, I do. And if you're a history kind of a history buff, you're going to like the message today because we're going to dig into that some. Okay. Um, but I like it for another reason as well. Um, it's an action book. I mean, the, the, the book Acts is just, just a shortened version of the actual title, the, the Acts of the Apostles. And it's really the only history book we find in our New Testament. The first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are narratives of the life of Jesus Christ, just picking encounters that Jesus had with people, things that he did in life, and obviously what he came to do that entailed a cross and an empty tomb. The book of Acts, on the other hand, is a chronological event 
recorder. It is a history book. And a lot of what we find in the rest of the New Testament took place while the Acts of the Apostles were happening. So, I like the book of Acts. And when we find ourselves in Acts chapter 15, it's very important that we understand that the time period we're talking about is between the two, two of the three missionary journeys of Paul. The Apostle Paul, pillar in, in the church. And the Apostle Paul went on the first missionary journey. As that journey came to a close, they spent some time in Antioch. But before there, they spent some time in Jerusalem. And they did this for a reason. See, Acts chapter 15 is a powerful testimony Powerful testimony of the unity found in Christ. The unity found in Jesus Christ. God did the unthinkable when it comes to history. And what he did was, for up to that point in time, God's people, his chosen people, was the people of Israel. It's the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. Don't forget that. And that was where his focus, that's who he was working on, and that's through whom the people group that God brought about his will in the world, the Jews. And then all of a sudden, it was, it was said this was going to happen in the Old Testament, but it happened, and the Gentiles become a part of the way. And this is a big, big deal. This is unthinkable. Guys, I talked about this just a little bit last week. For us to fathom the significance of what we're talking about here, let's think about our world for just a moment. And I'm not going to talk about it at length because we spoke about it last week. But think about what's happening on the other side of the world right now. Think about what has been happening for the past month in Israel and the rockets that are being lobbed back and forth and everything going on there. It's taking place because you have two people groups who do not get along and will never get along outside of Jesus Christ. I have a friend who served, I told you this last week, in Israel for many years on the mission field and he said the only thing that will bring Jews and Muslims together is Jesus Christ. That's it. Nothing else will. Well, guys, so we understand from viewing that in the world, the enmity that exists between two people groups. That's the kind of enmity we're talking about between the Jews and the Gentiles. And God brought them together. So, that happened, brought about by the Apostle Paul, more specifically the Apostle Peter. And that took place during the time frame of, of just beginning the first journey of Paul. But Paul was God's apostle, his messenger to the Gentiles. So his missionary journey with Barnabas was going to Gentiles and presenting the message of Jesus Christ. Now here's the problem. The Jews didn't know what to do with those weirdos. It's like, what do we do with these people? We've, we've, never, we've never been, they've never been a part of this group. What do we do now that they're a part of the group? I mean, what do we ask them to do? What, what do they ask us to do? How do we get along? And guys, by the way, it's so wonderful for us that God did do the unthinkable. Because I don't think there's very many of us in here who are Jews. We are the Gentiles, all right? So they got this, what are we going to do with these Gentiles? And there were already some issues starting to crop up. So what they did is they met in Jerusalem. The guy who kind of headed this up was a guy by the name of James. He was kind of the chief elder, if you will, the church in Jerusalem. Also happened to be Jesus' half-brother and a writer of our New Testament, the book of James. He kind of headed this up, but everybody came together. This is kind of like the power players of the church. You got Peter and Paul, Barnabas. You got all of these here, and they're like, what are we going to do about the Gentiles? Because there were some people who were saying, they got to be circumcised. I can remember 
Acts class. I was 19 years old because that's, that's when you do. Acts is what you did very early in your Bible college career. And it was a gal who sat, her name, first name was Melissa. I'll never forget. She sat on the second row in Acts class and she asked the professor, Brother Scott, Brother Scott, what's circumcision? <laughs> he was like, he said, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> My wife is like, this is so strange. Every time it seems like you're listening to the Unashamed podcast with Phil and Jason talking about circumcision. What is that all about? Well, it's kind of a big deal to people back in that day. And the Jews are saying, if you want to be a part of this group, you not only have to come to Jesus, you don't only have to confess his name, you don't only have to repent, believe in him, you don't have to be buried with him in the waters of baptism. He said, you got to be circumcised too. And it's like, okay, all right, you just drew a line in the sand right here, okay? So this is a very, very big deal, and this is a big problem. So they have this conference in Jerusalem to figure out how to take care of this, this council. All right, Um, let's take a look at this. Chapter 15 will begin, Acts 15 beginning with verse 7. And this is what it says. There's a great thing here. After there had been much debate. Doesn't that just sound like fun? After there had been much debate. Sign me up. I want to be there. Okay? Imagine that went on for a long time. After this, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, You know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith, not by circumcision. Peter continues, verse 10. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Do you see the point he's making here? Peter is saying, where do we stop? If we're going to put this burden on top of them, where do we stop? You got to keep the Sabbath? You got to eat only the clean stuff. They could go on and on and on. And Peter says, we couldn't keep the law of God. Our fathers couldn't and we couldn't. So why are you taking something we failed miserably at and throwing it on their heads? This is not right. The decision was made shortly after that. If you continue to read on, it talks about some good things happening here. Verse 11, he says, We believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they are. And all the people kept silent. They were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. I'm going to summarize this a whole bunch here, guys. The decision was made to put pen to paper, write a letter that would be distributed among all the Gentile believers. And what it would say is this, Now, you don't have to be circumcised. We are connected by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, as strange as as foreign as all of that sounds to us, when the Gentiles received this letter, they were greatly encouraged. They threw a party 
It's like we really are, we really are one through God with these people that we have always been at odds with. You see, this decision was made with one mind. The leaders there in Jerusalem came together. The Jews and the Gentiles are now one people. And interestingly enough, we get the best picture of that from Galatians. So turn over there and kind of keep a finger there. Well, this won't be the only time we're in Galatians today. But turn to Galatians chapter 3. Verse 26, Galatians is an interesting thing because the whole subject when Paul wrote to the church or wrote to the church in the Galatian region was this, there were those within the church. I mean, that conference, that that council in Jerusalem didn't put an end to this. There were still people out there trying to mess up the gospel by saying, you got to be circumcised, you want to be a part of us. And Paul wrote to the church saying the foolishness of that message. And this is what Paul says. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 3, beginning with verse 26. Man, that's a great passage of scripture. It says this, For all of you are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now that doesn't mean that there's no longer any genders within the church. No, that's not what it's speaking about. There are still Jewish background people, Gentile background. You still got people. People going to church together. You got some of them are masters and some of them are slaves. But the point he's making is when it comes to what matters, when it comes to eternity, when it comes to the body of Christ in this world, you're one. You are unified in Christ. Now for the irony of all of this. That that council took place in Jerusalem From that point on, Paul and Barnabas and a few others made their way to Antioch. Antioch was kind of the center of operations. When Paul would go on his missionary journeys, it was Antioch that he would be sent out from. When Paul would come back from a missionary journey, it is Antioch where he would find his rest. Okay? Very important place. It was in Antioch where people were first called Christians. I mean, this is an important place, guys. So they pick up, they go to Antioch, they deliver the letter to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are awesome. This is throwing a party. It's it's great, 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 great stuff. Okay. What happened in Antioch next, though, that probably happened in Acts chapter 15, verse 35. Now, don't, you don't even have to go there if you don't want. Stick with Galatians for just a little bit. But I'm going to read this verse to you. Acts 15.35. It says this. When Paul and Barnabas got back to Antioch and delivered that letter, they stayed for a while. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. Now let me tell you something, guys. Something took place while they were in Antioch. So let's turn back over to Galatians chapter 2. Peter was with them in Antioch. He was with them. And something takes place there that is completely out of the ordinary. And it upset Paul not a little bit. Remember, it was Peter. It was Peter. 
through whom God gave a vision. And it was Peter that would go to Cornelius' house, the very first Gentile to become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he and his entire household were baptized into Christ after the Holy Spirit fell on them while Peter's preaching the message. Awesome stuff happening here. It's Peter through whom it started. Now that vision that I was talking to you about, this is what it looked like. Okay, Peter's, he's asleep on top. He's asleep on top of a house catching some Z's, all right? And while he's sleeping, this big old sheet thing came out of heaven. And on this sheet, had to be a big one, all right? All of these different animals were on, clean and unclean animals. You can read all about those in Leviticus of the Old Testament. Clean and unclean. And this voice came out of heaven to Peter saying, take and eat. It's all clean for you now. And Peter's like, no, not going to do it, Lord. And the way I see it, I mean, I, people always see, you know, like these animals running around. You know, you got some deer running around out there. You got some cows, some oxen, and there's some pigs on there, all right? I don't see it like that. I see bacon and pork chops. That's what I see, okay? So this thing comes out of heaven, and there's bacon and pork chops on it, all right? And God tells Peter, take and eat. And Peter's like, I can't do it, Lord. These lips have never unclean, nothing unclean has ever touched these lips. And the Lord said, take and eat. What I have made clean is clean. And guess what? That was the testimony for Peter to know that the Gentiles were going to come and be a part of this from now on. But you know a little side note? Peter became a big fan of bacon. I mean, how can you not like bacon? I mean, seriously. How can you not like a pork chop? Seriously. Come on. So, now we're talking years later, and you've got Peter in Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And dude, he's chowing down on some pork chops and bacon. He's probably got bacon-wrapped pork chops, okay? He's eating with the Gentiles. He's like, man, I can't believe, I can't believe you guys had this all these years, bacon-wrapped pork chops. This is absolutely amazing. I love it. So he's just having a good old time with them. And then guess what? Some people show up from Jerusalem. Let's read about it. Going to read in Act or Galatians chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. But when Cephas, that is not Bo, all right, this is the other name for Peter, okay. But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him. This is Paul speaking. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, remember the chief elder in Jerusalem, and these that came to visit in Antioch were probably some Jewish hardliners, you know, not saying that James was mixed up in any of this. But when Peter saw them, he was intimidated. Prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. He ate those bacon-wrapped pork chops. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even, get this, Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, to Peter, in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, he's saying, Peter, you hypocrite. You were eating with them before the people from Jerusalem showed up. They show up, you stop doing it. What does that look like to them? And Barnabas got even carried away in the midst of all of this. And I know this sounds so 
little foreign to us, but it was so important in that day. And even New Testament heroes weren't always on the same page. A little more context before we jump into the heart. And don't worry, I'm not saying this is all introduction. We're in the middle of it here, okay? But a little more of of what is taking place when it comes to Paul and Barnabas. When they were on the first missionary journey, Barnabas asked to bring along a young man. Actually, a cousin of his. His name was John Mark. John Mark. And if you read, I'm not going to make you go there. We don't, we don't have time to do it. But if you look at Acts chapter 12 and Acts chapter 13, you will find out that while Paul and Barnabas were traveling from city to city preaching the message of Jesus Christ, John Mark, he abandoned ship. He, he, he left. He went back home. And the language used by Luke, Luke stays, he's the writer of the book of Acts, and he stays really neutral and He doesn't say anything about it. He gives no details. He just says, John Mark left. When we look to Acts chapter 15, we see, as we've already talked about this council in Jerusalem, we see that it is the testimony of the unity found in Christ Jesus. But then we look at the end of chapter 15, so turn back to Acts. We're done with Galatians now. Turn back to Acts chapter 15, and what I... Goodness, guys... The first missionary journey was made up of two people, Paul and Barnabas. Second missionary journey, Paul, no Barnabas, Paul and Silas. So what happened? Barnabas get thrown in prison? I mean, that happened to Christians sometimes back then. Did he get thrown in prison? No. Did he get sick? No. Did he die? No. What happened? What happened? So ironic. This message of unity, let's see how chapter 15 ends. Look at verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take along John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and gone And had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Guys, do you understand the significance of what happens in those few verses? Paul and Barnabas had been partners in ministry now for over 15 years. 15 years. It was Barnabas who put his arm around Saul, whose name had not yet been changed to Paul. Everybody was terrified of the guy. He used to be a terrorist. And he said, this guy's with us. He is all right. And this was like the dynamic duo. For 15 years, they traveled around that part of the world preaching the message of Jesus Christ. And after 15 years, done. No more partnership. They go their separate ways. So we just get this 
this conference, this council in Jerusalem, signifying the unity within the church. And then you got two pillars within the church who go their separate ways. How is that for irony? You know the Bible, I can tell you for a fact what the Bible is not into. Repeating or showing, revealing history for the sake of gossip. Okay? Now, I'm sure there was some gossiping going on about this. Did you hear about Paul and Barnabas? Oh, my goodness. But the Bible doesn't put it there for that purpose. The Bible, everything in it, it's there for a purpose. The Bible is quite revealing when it comes to reality Christianity. You see, all the players in the book of Acts save one, and his name was Jesus Christ. All of them were flawed people. Our Bible heroes, excluding Christ, are flawed. And they remained that way until their death. Here's the question. You got Paul and Barnabas heading opposite directions. Don't you want to know who's right? I mean, seriously. When somebody, when there's a conflict... And you know about it, or you hear about it, or you're in the midst of it. Don't you want to know who is right? So let's look at this a little bit. Barnabas, as I told you, his name meant son of encouragement. He was the encourager. We have some, probably have some encouragers here. There's probably some in this room who have the gift of encouraging others. Okay? If, if people don't come to you for advice... Or if people don't come to you talking about not only difficulties they are facing, but triumphs that they are overcoming. If they don't come to you with those things, you're probably not gifted with encouragement, all right? Matter of fact, um, I was told this somewhat recently. The brother in Christ was telling another brother in Christ that he had been given the, the spiritual gift of criticism. The spiritual gift of criticism. I don't see that one in the list in the book of Galatians. I'm not so sure about that one. But some of you probably are. You are encouragers. And guys, that was Barnabas. He was an encourager. But what we also get from the book of Galatians is the fact that when Peter got messed up in the head and he began acting hypocritical, Barnabas did the same thing. Barnabas should have been taking a stand, but it wasn't Barnabas taking a stand. It was Paul. Sometimes it's hard for an encourager to call something out that is wrong. So Barnabas. Now what about Paul? Guys, Paul was a hardliner, okay? (laughs) This guy, he was for the truth. He was not known to pull punches, Okay, he, he said it and let everything fall where it may. The word used in Acts 15.38 is a strong word. And I'm guessing it's not a word that just the Luke came up with when he was recording this. I'm guessing he took those, this word from the mouth of Paul. And the word in the Greek, deserter, Greek word means this. It's, it's the word we get apostate from. Someone who falls away. Someone who deserts a cause. And it is a strong, strong word. I think probably in the back of Paul's mind when they're in the midst of this confrontation is this. Well, you know what Jesus said. No one who puts his hand to the plow and turns around to look back is worthy of my kingdom. 
Paul was a hardliner, guys. So who was right? It seems like the leadership in Antioch kind of went Paul's way. It says, that, it says that, that Barnabas took John Mark and they sailed away to Cyprus. That's all it says. No details, nothing else. And then it says that Paul chose Silas and the leadership commended and committed them to the, to the task before them. And they left on the second missionary journey. So it seems like the leadership endorsed Paul. So was he right? Who was right? You know what? There might be a better question than who was right. And the better question might look a little like this. Who was faithful? Both. Barnabas took John Mark and he sailed to Cyprus to preach the message of Jesus Christ. Paul took Silas And he went away to Syria to preach the message of Jesus Christ. Both men were faithful. There is something that we need to understand, brothers and sisters. And this is speaking from 2,000 years ago until today. It is still the truth. There is tremendous freedom within the unity found in Jesus Christ. You see, Paul and Barnabas might not have been unified in their outlook of the journey that was about to take place, but they were unified in the content of their message. And their message was this, Jesus Christ crucified. Barnabas would continue his work and so would Paul. And guess what? We have the benefit of the hindsight of 2020. And the years would change a little something. Wouldn't you know it? The toughness of Paul, the compassion of Barnabas would continue to have an effect in the life of a young man. The last passage of scripture we're going to look at today comes from 2 Timothy. If you'd like to turn there. Paul had a young protege a young son in the faith, someone that he saw a tremendous amount of potential in. His name was Timothy. And Paul wrote a couple times to him, talking to him about ministry and how it is to, to preach the gospel, what it is to encourage the believers. And it's amazing that, that he wrote. And when he wrote that second letter to Timothy, there's something very significant about the time period. Paul was at the end of his race. It's 2 Timothy chapter 4 that we get amazing words like this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Guys, this 2 Timothy is the swan song of Paul. His life is coming to its end. He was right. It was not that long after he wrote this letter that the emperor Nero would decapitate him. And in one incredible last act, Paul would bring glory to Christ. The act would be his own death. So you have Paul speaking to Timothy. And then he goes on and he says this to Timothy. We're going to really focus on verse 11. I'm going to read a couple before that. 
This is Paul writing and saying to Timothy, make every effort to come to me soon. He wants to see Timothy before he dies. He said, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. There's that word again. And gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Catch that, Luke, the writer of Acts. There he is. And look at what happens next. Pick up Mark and bring him with you. For he is useful to me in service. That's the guy. That's the guy that Paul said, he's not coming with us. And here, years later, he says, bring that Mark fella. Isn't he a good guy? Strong and mighty in the Lord. You see, time heals some wounds. And the work of Paul and Barnabas in the life of Mark be vitally important. You know who Mark is, by the way? The writer of our second book in the New Testament. The Gospel of Mark. Brothers and sisters, there's something we have to understand when it comes to life in the church. That's us. The church is us. This is what we got to understand. We aren't going to agree on everything and that's okay. All right? You understand that? We are not going to agree on everything and that's okay. Unity in Christ has room for different strategies and different opinions. It does. What we must remember is the tie that binds us together. The glue that holds us together is Christ Jesus. That's the only place we don't differ. He is the only way to the Father. He is the only way to eternity. He is the only way to salvation. He is our anchor and he is our glue. And if you butt heads with a brother or sister in Christ at times, it's okay. Just remember, they're still your brother or your sister. And they always will be through the blood of Jesus Christ. So we come to our time of communion. It's a time of unity. Do you, do you realize that? Our unity, guys, the, the church spans all nations, all colors, all languages, all ethnicities. Heaven will be a colorful place, and I'm not talking about the fauna around us. I'm talking about the population. Incredible diversity. And people from all walks of life tied together simply by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the church.